See, here's a perfect example, Greg, of how dumb my brain is being right oh, now. No. What's it called when you make a video to apply to a movie? An audition? That. Okay. Audition video. My brain was giving me application video oh. like you're applying for a job. And it's like, no, no, that's not what it's called, brain. Yeah. He, no. he made a video, an application video. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with my brain right now? Audition. Hello and welcome back to Avatar, the podcast. We are here today to talk about The Last Airbender, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Boo. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wasn't too enthused going into today's topic because the research required was watching the movie. But, you know, we made it through. and Did we, though? Did we really make it through? We may have lost part of our souls along I, the way. I definitely lost a little bit of something, some sort of innocence <laughs> along the way. Today, as always, I am joined by Booster Greg. We are your hosts. And before we go into book two, we are going through a couple other things related to Avatar, the podcast, including the M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Last Airbender. And we're also going to be catching up with the rest of your mail. It's true. I'm excited. I can't wait to just like spam out a whole, not spam out, but I can't wait to just reach out to a whole lot of people. Just be like, hey. We didn't forget about you. You are near and dearer to our hearts. I swear. It's just very busy time. (laughs) It's true. We've had a lot of life stuff going on. Both Greg and I, we haven't talked about much, but it's kept us very busy. So we appreciate your patience. We appreciate you tuning in today Mm -hmm. to talk about The Last Airbender with us. And I guess really without further ado, let's jump in, right? Well, first, I do want to take a moment. Just thank everyone who participated in the Pin giveaway. That's right. Yeah. Like, so we don't have, I mean, there's no, there's no mystery new sixth winner. Just thank you. Like we got so many really funny responses for who your favorite baker would be. Uh, We got so many people now tuning into our YouTube content. We got more listeners coming through in terms of the podcast. And we also, I mean, I'm making more friends over on my stream, which is very cool and very fun. So Yeah, that's been so fun to see more friends to come hang out with us. Yeah, it's such a good time. Let's give some honorable mentions to a couple of the entries for their answer to the question, who out of the cast of Avatar The Last Airbender would be the best cook and why? Because we got some really good answers for some really creative reasons, too. Can't wait. Starzine wrote, Aang. Because he can control the different elements of flavor and appeal to the masses with originality in its creative form. Interesting. I like that. Specifically, because there's an episode of Cooked on Netflix. If you're a foodie and you like food stuff, I definitely recommend that, that show. And they break down the episodes into elements. And in the air element episode, they talk about how much air is used in cooking, especially baking bread, Mm. and how it changes the flavor because it creates room for different chemical reactions to take place. So I love that answer. And I think that's a great way to apply air bending to cooking. And I mean, we see it with Monkeyazzo too, and the way he makes his fruitcakes. That's true. Yeah. I just don't think Aang's disciplined enough to cook anything. Maybe when he's older. Or, or you know what? He gets everything right, except he's playing with a butterfly as it's baking and he burns it every single time. <laughs> yeah. That's when he's learning how to yeah. cook. I can totally <laughs> see that. And Crow Maxima writes, Iroh would be the best cook because he understands that everything must have balance and that extends to flavor profiles. Plus, he has stove hands. <laughs> That's true. 
That's very, Being very a true. firebender, you have hot hands. You can basically reach into the stove, right? Your ramen will never be cold ever again. <sighs> oh my God, I can't imagine. That's my coffee though. Yeah. My coffee would never get cold if I was a firebender because I could heat up my cup. Oh man, that would be a game changer. Oh man. Yep. Now, last episode, I'm changing it. Strictly firebending now, just for that purpose. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. You were on the fence. Yeah. Now that just tipped tipped me over because cups tip. Yeah, uh, oh my gosh. That, not, that was a stretch. Not my finest work, but we'll get there. <laughs> Thank you, everyone who Thank entered. You. We really appreciate your fun answers and for your interest. If you did not win an APA pin but are still interested, you can take a look at it on joysons.com mm-hmm. and purchase one for yourself if you so wish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, quick, another just quick little little tidbit reminder. We did tease last episode. We are going to be working on a new pin. Yes. So it, we aren't giving any details away. It is going to be book two related. That's all we're going to say, but keep your eyes on the prize for that one. There you go. Yeah. All right. This movie was written by M. Night Shyamalan and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. It was also produced by him, so you know. Whoa. Well, what was interesting is Brian and Mike are credited as executive producers on the movie. Yeah. But after the movie came out, they were just like, they were asked different questions and one of them was just like, kind of like what your overall thoughts are and they were just like we didn't even want this to be made <laughs> they were like yeah this is this shouldn't have happened it's yeah so basically good. that's what i read too how they were first approached about being a part of the the project and were like well you know we really don't want this to be made yeah but then when they were told well it's getting made so deal with it they're yeah. like okay fine we'll consult because <laughs> we don't want to not be a part of it right uh, but they didn't really have much creative direction they were right. just more like consultants for whatever the showmakers wanted to do yeah yeah and it was i went on the the this like really deep until like two or three o'clock in the morning just youtube hole that was m night Shyamalan, the last airbender interviews and he weaves a much different story of why this was this movie was made that we're going to talk about a little bit more but like Long story short, the too long didn't read is he <laughs> wanted to make the next Harry Potter series. So that that's kind of how this approached him. And I think as we dive through the movie, we're going to see why that definitely did not happen. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I read that he was approached with the project didn't really want to take it, but then got like talked into it because of the money and the bigness of the project and how it's like super popular, super loved, like it was a good opportunity. And then after he made it, he kind of regretted it because it wasn't really his field or something along those lines. Did you read that too? I didn't read that. It's very interesting because all of the interviews that I saw where he was speaking for the movie, and granted, this is all promotional material. What he says happened is a much different story. So maybe it's uh, he was yeah. lying to begin with. Or I don't want to say lying. That's very negative. But he was like, he's trying to sell his movie, right? So you have a fandom that's already around a property. You don't want to be like, yeah, I didn't really want to do this. And it was forced on me. You kind of want to weave a story about it. So maybe then after the movie failed, then he was like, this is what really happened. I don't know. But everyone going into this movie, there's a lot of hype around this movie. And that was because I want to say, A, because uh, the source material is amazing and B, because M. Night Shyamalan claimed to be a fan of the source material. So this, the legend goes yeah. 
that he was looking for that, like I said, that next Harry Potter franchise and his agents, his managers, no one could quite find it for him. And then one day his kids, one of his kids came up to him and said, why not Avatar? And then he said, what, you know, what is this? And he sat down and he watched an episode. Then it became two. Then it became three. Then it became a dozen episodes. And then it was the whole season. And he was like, by God, children, I think you're on to something. And then fired all of his agents. And I'm just kidding. The last part didn't really happen. But yeah, like that's what he says is he sat down and watched it with his kids. And he was like, this is amazing. This is brilliant. Like, this is such a really cool show. And I, I need to make this. This, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. That's the story he weaved in 2010 before the movie came out. Yeah, exactly. And so I think a lot of the a lot of the interviews I was reading is what came after 2010. And one thing I remember him saying is that he claimed that the storytelling was in a uh, what's the term? Well, it's a a much different style than what he does because M. Night Shyamalan is a modern director. Yep. Yeah. M. Night is a much more modern director. If you look at his work, it is. I'm going to be bold and say 100% taking place in the present. Oh, I just ruined the premise or the twist of one of the movies for you. I'm sorry, but it wasn't that great to begin with. And within watching... That was one I did enjoy. Yeah. You you did enjoy that one or didn't? I did. You liked The Village? I did. Because at the time I was like a teenager and it was a cool concept and I wanted to be a writer at the time. And so I liked the twist and the way that they built up the tension in the movie, which you don't get an avatar at all. Right. Like the last yeah. airbender, there was zero tension, which I was very upset about. The, the series itself isn't twist based, which is what M Knight's career is based off of. Yes. Also the village. I saw the twist. I don't want to like, you know, like toot my own horn, you know, whatever, but, <laughs> but Sigourney Weaver gave it away for me. The second she spoke, I was like, it takes place in modern time. And Sigourney Weaver yep. could not pull off a colonial American accent for the life of her. And I love her. And it's a shame because she's one of my favorite action heroes for sure. But yeah. she was just talking and I was like, why do you sound weird? Oh, she's faking it because this takes place in modern times. I don't know. Anyways. Oh, uh, okay. That's what gave it away. So yeah. So I think the mor- the moral of M. Night Shyamalan, the, his signature, if you will, is that twist at the end. And that doesn't happen in avatar there is no real twist because it's all as we've learned in book one just keeps on building upon itself and building upon itself and then you know when something happens like uh allegiance changes for a character it's not a twist it has been earned like twists are great because you get that oh i didn't see that coming but it is ultimately a cheap parlor trick if done incorrectly yeah and so. on that on that note, a lot of his movies are built around suspense and yep. tension yep. rather than story and character. Right. So that's it was a weird choice. It was yeah. kind of a weird match to to make. I remember when I first heard it announced, I was like, oh, cool. Shyamalan's like branching now into a different genre because this is not really his genre. Like you yeah. said, he's known for those twists, those suspenseful movies, um, kind of like suspense horror almost. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, it was weird. It was very weird. I, I think The Last Airbender is a prime example of the style of the director not matching the style of the story. And it's very obvious. All right. Well, enough about Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit more about him. But let's jump into uh, maybe the rest of the casting. Yes. And talk about who's in this movie. Yes. So for me, everyone knows I love my casting. And a lot of these uh, faces that popped up seemed super familiar to me. 
Uh, and they might have seemed familiar to anyone who decided to rewatch this with us. And if you did, I'm very, very, very sorry. We'll never ask you to watch this movie ever again, ever. <laughs> yes. Just like we'll never have to watch The Great Divide yes. ever, ever again. It's, it's over. It's fine. Some people didn't even have to rewatch The Great Divide. They just mm -hmm. listened to us, which is amazing. We have the character. I'm going to go by the pronunciation of the character's name in the movie that way, because in my opinion, they are different characters. So that Agreed. way we, we can yes. differentiate them a little bit more. So we have the character of Ong, who is played by Noah Ringer. And Noah Ringer has literally done not much else other than be Ong. He was, it hurts me to say that. Sorry. No, <laughs> me too. He was in the movie Cowboys and Aliens. If you remember that one with Daniel Craig. I do remember that Vaguely one. Vaguely remember that one. That was when they were getting uh, obscure comic books and just taking the name and the basic premise and just making them into movies. Wasn't terrible, yep. but not super memorable. And that was about it. That was it. I read yes. that Noah Ringer started studying Taekwondo at 10 years old, mm -hmm. loved the show. Mm -hmm. And when they when he saw or heard that there was going to be a movie being made of it, he made an audition video with the help of his teacher, his martial arts teacher, and apparently that did the job. It caught Shyamalan's eye and he was cast for the role, even though he had never acted in anything else, according to IMDb. Yep. Yeah. That's such a bummer, too, because like you have someone who has the physical talent to play this character and who has the, the fandom to like play this character. But like, that's about it. So I know. What we talk about in, in this movie specifically is a great example of this is when the movie casting gets whitewashed or it doesn't quite match what the expectations were for the fans. This would be a great example of maybe Noah Ringer isn't great as the character of Ong. <coughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> but he might be a great like stunt double. Yeah, that's exactly. That way he still gets to play the character and you still have that like clout, so to speak. But you don't, I don't know, whitewash the main character. You you, you get the applicable culture to represent yeah. what was yeah, supposed the to happen. Culture. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so that was Ong. Katara was played by Nicola Peltz. And she, I know her from uh, Transformers Age of Extinction. She played oh. uh, Tessa. I also know her from the Bates Motel uh, I think it was on AMC or A and E. Sorry, it was the A and E show starring um, Freddie Highmore as Norman Bates and also uh, Vera Farmiga hmm. as Norma Bates. So that show, if you haven't seen it, is actually very, very good. Yeah, she she played like one of the pretty girls, if I'm not mistaken. And that that was actually kind of the main stuff that she was in, other than this. So yeah. not like and a that super, was after that was all after. Too. So the last Airbender was not her first role; it was her third role. Yeah. Ever according to according to IMDb, mm, Jackson Rathborn played Soka Super Soka is what I call him. Super Soka. Super Soka because <laughs> they call him Soka. Oh, no. and I'm like, I know. ugh, uh, uh, that actually 2010 was a pretty decent year for Jackson because not only did the last Airbender come out, but he has been in the Twilight Saga, is what IMDb tells me. And Eclipse came as out this, Jasper. as Jasper. So Eclipse came out the same year as The Last Airbender. And there was actually, again, on my, on my YouTube rabbit hole, they did one of those like, how did you like this movie? Like ambush style interviews. And one guy was like, I wish I saw Eclipse. <laughs> He's like, I would have rather watched <laughs> Twilight. And he definitely did not appear to be a Twilight fan. 
based off of his tone. Uh, Jackson was also in the Finding Carter TV series, um, as well as not too much. Or he's in White Collar for an episode. So his main claim to fame that I'm aware of is the Twilight Saga. Which is ironic mm-hmm. because Jasper has maybe two lines in the whole series. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, he's also in The Last Ship, the TV series. That is something that's pretty big that I hear very, very good things about. I just haven't had the chance to watch it yet. Huh. So that's uh, good old Jackson as Super Soka. <laughs> now, Prince Zuko. This is very interesting. Prince Zuko is played by Dev Patel. Now, if that name seems familiar, it's because the movie he did right before The Last Airbender was Slumdog Millionaire, which received nothing but critical acclaim. I remember it being good. I never one of those watched movies it. I would never really. Yeah, I've okay. never seen it. It's good for one watch. Okay. I wouldn't watch it again because it's it's like really it's pretty rough. It's yeah. not one of those movies that you would like want to re-experience because it's just like Watching someone get dragged through the dirt for the whole movie and then they have a happy ending is just like, I don't want to go through that again. It was good, though. It was well made. That's fair. I mean, I I know Dev mostly from the um, British television series Skins. Yeah. Which I really like that show a lot. I'm I'm a sucker for like teen angst drama comedy like (laughs) or dramedies kind of deal. Uh, And Skins really kind of hit that sweet spot for me. Since then, he has... uh, played numerous roles he was in Chappie he was in the series the newsroom which is a fantastic series if you haven't seen that one. Oh yeah um and also modern love and, and many many other things he's he is a a very good actor and i think that shows in the last airbender despite the writing agreed yeah yeah, yeah. he he did the best with what he got yes for sure for sure so uh, we're going to go through the next. because Those are the main characters, right? Now we're going to go through kind of the, the secondary characters. So we have Uncle Iro, who is played by Sean Tube. I can never say this guy's name right. Uh, but he was Yinsen in Iron Man. So have you ever seen the first Iron Man movie? Oh, that's He's where the I scientist know him from. that helps him develop uh, the armor. The very first suit yep. in the cave. The Mark yep. One. Yep. Yep. He's also in the Snowpiercer TV series, but... If you see him and you've seen Iron Man, you're like, why does this guy seem familiar? It's because he was a big part of Tony Stark's life in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, He's also in The Kite Runner. Interesting. All right. Then we have Cliff Curtis as Fire Lord Ozai. Now, Cliff has been in many, many, many different things. If you've ever seen the movie Sunshine, that's one of my favorites, where they have Um, to go. I don't think so. It's a bunch of scientists that have to go reignite the sun. Because like the sun's dying, so that's their job to go oh, do that. Oh wow! Um, he's been in many, 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 many other things, but that's kind of just off the top of my head as as the top one that I really enjoyed. But he's been around for quite some time. Uh, we also have Asif Mand Mand. I can't, I, I'm I know I'm butchering all these names. Asif Mandi Mandvi as Commander Zhao. I I liked Zhao in this a little bit. I have to say, not the same way that I like Zhao proper, but I kind of like enjoyed yeah. Zhao in this. Oh my but gosh. anyways, Asif ha- has been in Blue Bloods is, is like kind of one of his reoccurring roles. OK, yeah. he's also yeah, he's also been in like many different movies. Oh, and Jericho. How could I forget Jericho? I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Post Apocalyptic World. Really cool. Small town. OK, yeah, I really dug that one. And he's in The Sopranos. So there's that uh, last coming up is I'm just going to mention this last one. UA. She was pretty prominent with Seychelles Gabriel and. She actually did a voice in Legend of Korra. Whoa. As really? Asami Sato, yeah. No. Yep, she was Asami. Asami? 
She's a Sami. No mm-hmm. freaking mm-hmm. way. I know her from Falling Skies. I really liked Falling Skies back in the day. That was a um, aliens invade kind of deal. And it's if, if they treat it more like the walking dead, but instead of zombies, it's aliens, which was really cool. That was on TNT. That one went from for three years, actually. So that's just where I know her from. But yeah, she plays the Sami in core. That's her big name that you're going to know her from. But that's your main cast. There's a lot of names in there, a lot of powerful and really good actors. So we can't blame them because it's not their fault, except for like maybe Jackson. I'm sorry, Jackson. I don't I don't. I don't like what happened to Sokka. I know, me neither. And it's, I mean, really what it comes down to is the main cast was super green. Yes. So you had a lot of tenured actors in supporting roles, and then your main cast was just a bunch of people who didn't have much experience, and you're throwing them into this huge blockbuster with kind of like a gutted story. So there really wasn't much to go off of. Yeah, you you can either have experienced actors and a gutted story or a full story and less experienced yeah inexperienced actors like that's how you need to have this you can't have it both ways unfortunately yep agreed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. speaking of a gutted story let's talk about bending next yes because oh boy the bending styles did not match Mm -hmm. in this Mm -mm. movie i don't really know what they were going off of we we talked about last episode how there was a very specific bending style that was used as a foundation for the bending that we see in the show. And so I was expecting at least that to be consistent in the movie because you already have an established world with established martial arts you could go draw off mm-hmm. of, like get some experts in who know Bagua or Tai Chi or, you know, Northern Shaolin, etc. And they didn't. To me, it it felt a lot like that stereotypical kung fu for the big screen kind of style yeah. where they're just like, it's over-exaggerated. It's a little wild. It was awkward. It kind of felt tone deaf to me visually because did, yeah. you take the precision of these different styles from the show and then you just turn it into this like example of bending. To me, it seemed, this is going to be odd to say, and I'm thinking specifically of where the episode Imprisoned would have been in, in the movie. Yeah. It seemed very Bollywood-esque. It was way too like there you go synchronized. Like like yep. the Earthbenders go to like do earthbending, and I think the big difference is I don't know why they decided to have all of their mo- movements be exactly in sync, but like I don't remember that being a thing in book one where it's like they all just kind of went off and did their own thing with the Earth. Like having an Earth two Earthbenders control the same Earth doesn't seem to do much good. Other than like have yeah. water bending is a good example where it takes sometimes two or more water benders to move the same amount of water with more force. That doesn't ever really seem to be the case with earth bending yet in book yeah. one. Now that I think about it, I think the scene they were trying to recreate from the show was that one moment where Haru's dad and a couple other earthbenders take the coal and compact it into um, something really dense. Mm. They did that together because it took more uh, more bending power. But instead, in the movie, we see just a little rock yeah. float by. It wasn't <laughs> It took like well. seven benders. It was not shot no. well. And I actually watched something that I'm going to link at the end of this episode mm-hmm. that really breaks it down from a movie making perspective because a, a film student broke down Avatar and talked about what was really weird about it and what didn't feel good. Um, so it's really fascinating. But he was saying how the what the long shots are really what made that scene awkward because it was one long take as the camera rotated and moved around. And so it doesn't have the same kind of feel as an action shot. Right. 
that's usually a style of filmmaking that you do for like dialogue. But I think that would have been fine if if they did something like that now that would have been fine i think because it would have been heavily cg and we wouldn't have seen it from like a floating ghost perspective like i would have preferred to see if you want to do m night friend buddy old pal if you want to do a long kind of like drawn out shot like that in an action scene have us be the earth that is being bended have us go through like being thrown at a fire nation soldier then being recalled into another earthbender and shaped into something else so like flow like through the action, not that would be circle around it. I'm not a filmmaker. Yeah. I'm just spitballing here again. Another thing that I, I thought was really weird was aside from each bending style not being very visually particular, mm. not visually recognizable, the styles that they do show are not consistent either. So there's this one scene at the very end where Zuko and Zhao are on are facing off on the bridge, mm. and Zuko goes into this like typical martial arts stance with his arms up and one hands and a fist and that kind of thing. And then you pan over to Zhao, who's like standing there with claw hands. He's literally standing there with like his fingers curled into claws up in front of his chest. And it's like, you're both firebenders. Why do you look completely different? I can forgive that. And I'm going to be a Zhao apologist, I think, in this episode. Because the (laughs) Zhao in the movie is much different than the Zhao in the series. The Zhao in the series is an accomplished firebender. Um, he does have a little bit of a temper, but he is very strategic, very calm, very... He can be very calculating, right? The Zhao in the movie is an idiot. He does... Is that why you like him? That's why I like him is because he's <laughs> such an idiot. He is... If you could say there was comedy in this movie, it was because of him. And that's it. Because he's a bumbling idiot. He's a idiot. bumbling idiot. All he does... He, he like Zhao does suck up to Ozai so much in book oh. one. But Big in the time. movie, he's just like his patsy, not patsy, his like henchman, essentially. And that's yeah. how it's treated. So he lives to kiss Ozai's butt yes, in the movie. Yes. He's like, he's like, guess what? I found Ozai. Yeah. I have a plan. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. But like, I'm fine with that. I'm completely that's that's not Zhao. But that character did drive the plot along. So like kind of. And oh, it, man, I disagree. <laughs> we'll, I mean, talk we'll talk about, about it later. But him uh, taking it the improper stance. So just view it from the lens of Zuko yeah. is the firebender and Zhao just sucks. He's just terrible. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. And then it makes a little more sense. He's only gotten to where he is from being a kiss butt. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I guess for me, like taking the character out of the conversation, mm-hmm. just, just visually, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. not having a uniformed style is it threw me out of out of the movie yep. quite oh, a yeah, lot for sure yeah um the other thing yep. is just how long it took for someone to bend yeah it was like we gotta wave our arms around we gotta like move all of our limbs around like we're starting up a train mm-hmm. or something hump the air mm-hmm. and then bending happens and then you do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around yes yeah. exactly it's it was Every scene with bending, it was just like a couple seconds worth of flailing and then bending happened. And it's like there's no connection between the movement of the body and the element that's being affected. And again, that threw me out of the story. Same here. Finally, Mm -hmm. if firebenders in this version can only manipulate existing fire, then how the heck was Zuko able to get through the ice by heating up his hands? That is 150 million percent what I was thinking, because while there are elements from the series that, no, I mean, I guess pun intended, that exist both in the movie and in the, at least book one, he shouldn't be able to do that. 
Like the the right? law, if you're going to make this law where you can only bend existing elements that are present in your environment, then you have to stick to that. And it's very easy to work your way around Zuko getting out of that ice. Have him have a tool, like an ice pick that he uses to get out of it or something like or one of those, mm-hmm. what is it that like cat burglars use that the, like they like put it on the window <laughs> yeah, and they, the, the glass yeah, cutter. the glass cutter, they do that, something like that. It's very yeah. easy to get around that. You can't just like introduce a new rule that didn't exist in the source material and then break it because it's convenient. Yes, exactly. You know, give them one of those, those fashionable drill helmets that all the other oh, ones use so to like drill their way up stupid. through the ground. I hated those so much. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, although they could have been hinting at both Zuko being as powerful as, as his uncle, as Iro. Yeah. I think that's ultimately what they were hinting at. It didn't read, though. It it didn't read. It was just like, wait, why are you breaking your own rules of magic? Yeah. Like, yeah. So <laughs> that's all the notes I had about bending. Yeah. I hated what they did to fire bending so much. I did, too. I mm, like you have to have existing fire. I mean, that's the last thing related to bending that we could talk about is just how it's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. If your firebenders can only use existing fire, then... Put the fire out and you win. Yeah. <laughs> You're, I mean, it's just, it's literally insane to yeah. me that you have a fight between firebenders and waterbenders mm-hmm. and your firebenders can only use fire that's in these like sconces yep. next to yep. them. And no waterbenders think to bend water on top of the fire and win the fight. Yeah. Like it's mind blown. All right. Well, I want to shift gears and talk about things that I actually did like about the movie. It's not too long of a list, but I feel like we definitely need to cover this because so much of the things that I enjoyed about The Last Airbender were things that took a lot of work and effort from different teams on the production team. So costumes, for instance, Mm -hmm. I thought those were an okay interpretation of the show. Yeah, they were fine. Could have been better, but they're not bad. They didn't look out of place. Like they definitely fit into their environment. And I appreciated that. Each different tribe or civilization or culture. Nation. Yeah, each nation. Thank you. Did have their own look and feel and things like that. The village design of the Southern Water Tribe. I was really digging that. I thought that was a good interpretation, too, of the of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, It maybe was a little bit bigger than what they showed in the show but it was noteworthy to me that a lot of the sets and design and costumes didn't take me out of the story yeah it brought me in and i appreciated the detail i appreciated the way that they reimagined the different sets from the show and made them very distinct from each other like you said each nation is very visually distinct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah i I did appreciate all of that what i found and i I don't want to be, I'm going to keep on going the negative, even though I was like, we got to talk about good things about this. <laughs> but every set did feel just small to me. Every single different yeah. scene, it just felt very like claustrophobic. And I can't tell if that's because of the way it was shot or because they were just using smaller sets or a lot of green screens or what. But everything just felt okay, yes. tiny to me. I know what you're talking about. And I think it's the way it was shot because very seldomly did we have establishing shots yeah. that showed the scope yep. of the scene. It was very much like you get one of those and then a lot of minutes of just close up on set recording. Yeah, that's probably it. I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed um, Zuko in this. And he, yeah, he was, here's okay. here my theory. Most of the really cool things that Zuko did in season one are well represented in C- in The Last Airbender. The Blue Spirit was pretty solid. It wasn't shot great, but it was solid. That was pretty much intact for the most part. His love for his uncle 
pretty much there. It's not quite. He's a little more like abusive towards Eero. Yeah. A little bit, but he's he trusts him and he doesn't trust anyone else. And we, we find that very evident in the fact that he's always kind of hanging around his uncle. Eero is OK. He can be hit or miss. I kind of like that he was having a random like foot massage from a woman because that just felt like. Oh, my God. While drinking tea. I. <laughs> I hated I that was, personally, but that's uh, on a different list. No, yeah, but like we're gonna go. I over. felt like like that was kind of like in his idiot persona, like that Iroh likes to put off in the last Airbender. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm just fumbling around and I don't really know what I'm doing. It's very much in that kind of same vein. It's just a little sexist and dumb, and I didn't like it too much. But like, yeah. like the personalities were there. And my theory on that is that. M. Night actually really enjoys Zuko because he's like the angsty kid. He's like the cool 90s action like superhero guy. Like that's what he is in book one. So he probably maybe even saw himself in Zuko. And that's why there is so much attention to detail with the prince specifically. Yeah, I'd like to think that too. I like that they included the blue spirit, but I was disappointed that the blue spirit came like after three scenes of Zuko yeah. where he doesn't have much to do other than react to things. I find it very interesting that he paid such close attention to the Fire Nation and the story of Zuko and even remade the culture to be more representative, to look more like him. That's what I found very interesting. That's what I've always found. To it, him, to Shyamalan? Shyamalan. I'm, that can't be a coincidence yeah. that he chose. I, I thought so, yeah. too. Maybe... Yeah. And of course, we're theorizing yeah, I here, mean, listeners. We yes, don't know this for yes. sure. But I thought I wondered about that, too, because I thought it was interesting how he took out the East Asian culture, cultural influence from the Fire Nation. Exactly. All of the Fire Nation yeah. is Indian. A lot of their landscape looked like it was from India. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting to me. And I, initially I was like, why would you make your own culture the bad guy? But then maybe to your point, he just really enjoyed the Fire Nation. Yeah liked Zuko as a character and so wanted to kind of express something there. There are some issues, of course, involved in that because you're basically presenting the visual lesson of heroes are white, villains are brown, (laughs) which is problematic. Yes, very, very. I can see that might be the reason why there was that shift in representation that he just thought they were cool and wanted to like mix things up a little bit. Yeah. And like as a creator, I can understand that where it's like you're adapting something that's not your work and you're just like, oh, but like, I really like this guy. I want him to look like me. Like, I want to like visualize myself as this character, which is something that you can do a lot easier in animation because this is something M. Night said, which I kind of agree with where the um, Japanese anime style is very like non-culture specific from a visual standpoint that's why you have to pay attention to the not the character designs but the environment in which that character is placed and how they interact with that environment to really kind of get a sense of where they're from and who they are that's right he did say that in one of the interviews that was his explanation for why he represented the different cultures the way that he did why he whitewashed all the water tribe people Yeah. yeah his his answer to why he whitewashed was well, in anime, their features are nondescript. Right. So you can kind of anyone who's viewing can put themselves in the the place of the hero, right. no matter what like culture or background they come from, which I thought was a cop out answer. If I'm completely it's, it's 100% honest. a cop out answer. Yes. Yes. I agree. <laughs> because if you made a movie that was not based off of existing intellectual property, mm-hmm. then fine. Yeah. That could be your yep. answer for for whatever. Yep. But like to make a movie based off of something that already exists mm-hmm. and yet still skew it so far it's almost unrecognizable that's incredible to me it's like you had all the answers right there so like why change them that much and then try to defend your changes 
as in like, oh, well, anime, you know, anime features. But that's the thing, too, is like, again, missing the point of the entire series is it's a series about cultural differences and being inclusive and uh, just like going through the world and learning about all these different cultures and, and accepting them. Like, that's what Aang's adventure has been in book one. He's just like, yeah, no, like it could be anyone. It goes, no, it can't be anyone. This is not any culture. You can't just go swapping them out. They're very specific. They were they were made with intent. They were chosen with intent. And your responsibility being an adapter for this material is to represent it as best you can with the information that you have. And he mm-hmm. just like threw out the information he didn't want, didn't like, or maybe someone like Joe Hollywood over there was just like, no, you got to it's got to be Caucasian protagonists. The the people like the Caucasians and that's what's going to it's like no. As much as I enjoy Sokka looking like me, it's terrible. And no, it's not who he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I will give them is I appreciated the representation of the Fire Nation just because it was a different representation of like a technologically advanced nation. Yeah. Like we didn't see the the cross of Egyptian, Chinese, scary, mm-hmm. which were the three words that Mike and Brian gave Eliza right, right. to design the throne room. But we did see a lot of like advancement in the scenes. Yeah. Um, the throne room, for instance, it was gorgeous. There was this like tool that I imagine would be used for astronomy and like all these different gadgets and stuff. And everything was very clean and polished and advanced and golden and all of the stuff. So you could see visually this nation has progressed yeah. pretty far. They're not living in huts yeah, yeah. or whatever, like in the Earth Kingdom. Um, so I appreciated that. And the same thing goes for the other nations, too. Like I thought the Northern Water Tribe was gorgeous mm-hmm. and if the story had been good, it would have been a joy to look at all these different sets and scenes and things. I mean, God, the the Spirit Oasis, mm-hmm. probably the closest to the show. I, again, I thought it was too claustrophobic. Like the show made it seem like a, it, was, it seemed like a small room to me in the in the last Airbender, where it felt like a proper oasis in the series. Yeah, maybe because the ceiling wasn't there, it was just yeah. kind of open to the yeah. sky above. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. Even if it's like, let's say they included some other shots to kind of introduce the expanse of the scene and it wasn't just small shot to small shot. I think just how they presented the culture, the scenes, along with the CGI, in certain scenes, it it very much reminded me of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I got those same feelings just from all of the Blue Spirit stuff because it was like that scene where Ong is hanging out with Zuko after... Ang saves him from getting murdered by his own people. They have that very same, you know, maybe we could have been friends feeling kind of scene. I don't think they ever said those words. Granted, at this point, I was paying less and less attention because I just like I can only handle so much. (laughs) But there were like I could start to see the series as I know it shine through towards the end. It felt like it was just a rush to the end. This whole this whole movie. Yeah, it did feel like a rush to the end. A lot of the a lot of the storytelling and like character agency was just kind of glossed over just to get to the end and the final siege and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, I know. One final thing about all the things that I liked, I will just say, you know, for what it's worth, the film score, the costumes and the sets were the best part of the movie. And I am so sad for the set designers, costume designers and the film score because they didn't deserve that level of disrespect for their work. It was, they did a great job and it's amazing to see how, a story can make or break a movie. I mean, we know that. Mm-hmm. That's the movies. Yeah. Like if your story 
isn't getting its point across, then it's a bad movie. But it's just like if it's the weakest link, then nothing else matters. And I find that so sad because the team did so good. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, whatever the original series shine would shine through for me was a really good moment and it felt pretty solid and it makes me wonder what we could have had. But yeah, I mean, I think the things that were mostly in the background that can very easily you could one could very easily be blinded to were what were the best parts so like like you're saying set design uh costume design the lighting i thought was pretty solid too like some of some of the some of the cinematography not all of it but some of it was was pretty pretty solid but like yeah but like you don't see Mm -hmm. it because like i was too busy being furious about paku that i some scenes i couldn't even enjoy what was behind him because i'm like why why it is he existing mm-hmm. in this movie like this? Mm-hmm. I don't think they even ever gave him a name. <laughs> anyway, before I get ahead of myself, we need to go into the things that we can't stand now. Oh, no. So we've talked about casting. Yeah. We've talked about bending. Yeah. We've talked about the things that we like, even though we got sidetracked a little bit there mm-hmm. with things we don't like, yeah. which it's just gonna happen. is going to happen with this movie. Things that we can't stand. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I've made my my feelings known on this. Uh, <laughs> let, let me tell you about my favorite character, Sokka, and why he's my okay. favorite character is because he is very much. I had this I had this uh, realization and I don't remember if I said this on a previous episode or not, but Sokka is a young Iroh. Their archetypes are very similar in personality. They both have that like kind of lazy, goofy persona to everyone around them, but they're secretly brilliant. They're strategists. They're really good at figuring things out, but they don't let people if like at first glance, you look at soccer, you're like you're an idiot. Like you're, you keep on getting water bended. Oh, that's something that I liked. Sorry, not to go back. I like that every time Katara water bended, Sokka got wet. Yeah, they at least included that. <laughs> at least they included that. They also included the hanging guards in the Blue Spirit scene. Yes. Like I said, like most of the Blue Spirit stuff is like pretty on point with what the show was. But like it just misses a lot of the other points. It misses the heart. The of heart it, of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And I think that's part of what I can't stand is there is no humor in the movie at all. Yes. There's like three funny parts in the movie. And that's it. Even the parts that are supposed to be funny are not funny. M. Night actually said he intentionally stripped out the slapstick humor and the kiddish humor from the show. Can't do that. Uh, from the movie. Yeah. It was a more serious take, but he still he still said he made it for kids. Like, no. I don't know. So like the humor, it's no secret that I really like the humor in the series. And I think the humor is what gives it part of its soul. It's not all yes. of it. Granted, there's many aspects to a soul. It's not just like one personality trait. Right. But this is a large one for me. It makes the lore it makes the nations it makes characters more accessible and easier to relate to than before granted they do go a little too overboard sometimes a little too goofy and that could have been stripped out that would have been fine but like Sokka is funny Iroh is yeah. funny like these are funny characters not everyone Aang's is funny Ang's a kid he's gonna be knows goofy. what fun is yeah like they took out all of the humor and these moments that were meant to be impactful were not like when um this is not humor related but when ang or ong sorry when ong finds monkeyatso's body and it's just kind of like no it's not a big moment no nope. there's no like heart behind it it's just like oh it's a dead body cool he knew who that person was 
Yeah. Just to pause yeah, yeah. your conversation about Sokka for a second so I can address the monkey Yatsu Yes. Thing. I was so offended by that. Aang found his the bones of his mentor in a random field. Yeah. Surrounded by other bones. Yeah. Which basically insinuates that Monkey Yatso wasn't worth anything. He was just yep. a random, he was just another random air nomad who got killed in the fight. Mm-hmm. Like versus the way we see him in the show, which is alone in a room mm-hmm. surrounded by the bodies of a dozen Fire Nation soldiers because he single handedly took them out. Mm-hmm. That is how powerful. And I mean, that's that's an example of the disconnect between the power of a visual in the show versus the lack of powerful visuals in the movie. Yeah. You can say so much just by visually presenting something. Mm, anyway, absolutely. back to Sokka. But yeah, so Sokka, it, I cannot stand Soka in this. We're going to go back to the <laughs> Soka. Not only is his name ridiculous, not only, and this is from me who loves puns, not only is like naming someone in the from the water tribe Soka, it's the stupidest thing I've super soaker that I've ever heard. It's the dumbest thing. It's it goes against the whole point of his character. And he's there to as a as a comfort almost. Like him being goofy, we we made this correlation in uh, I think it was a couple episodes back. Him being goofy and Katara being so caring are both the personality traits that Aang found to be familiar from his former mentor and father figure, yeah. Monk Yatsu. Monk Yatsu. Yeah. And that's why he felt so, he could trust them so much, is because they felt so familiar. In this one, all, all Soka really does is just like yell at Katara, like be moody, a moody teenager. Mm-hmm. And he gets whacked by Appa's tail like twice. That's all he really does. And he, he has his yeah. boomerang. He's the one that actually uncovers Ong, not Katara as well. Yep. Which was like, really, I feel like they just, Katara is not my favorite character. I do appreciate her, but I am just angry on your behalf, Acorn, for what <laughs> they did you. for to Katara. I was like, this is not even remotely close to what this character represents. Katara in the movie is about as impactful as a wet paper bag. Mm-hmm. She's actually very reminiscent of UA in the series. Yes. Me. Yes, she is. Yeah. Yeah. And my list of things I can't stand is quite long. Yes. But thankfully, they're kind of bullet pointed so I can fly through these. Do it. Everything about the bending. Yep. How white the cast is. Yep. Also, it's very jarring to see such a white cast put next to the natives that they used as the extras. Mm-hmm. Like they actually went out of their way to find people for the extras, mm-hmm. but then they whitewashed the main cast. It's just jarring to see two white people standing next to a group of ethnically accurate indigenous people. Yeah. Like it's it's just offensive is what it is. Yeah, it's it's a again just a lack of paying attention to the source material. A lack of yep. care essentially. Yes. Yeah. And that extends to the names. We've already addressed this, but <sighs> just how many times I had to cringe when I heard Ong Avadar so oh my god when they said avatar i was like that's an actual word yeah you don't have to like spice that up (laughs) yes oh my gosh terrible how often a narrating voice explains what happened is happening or will happen yeah it's incredible yep the amount of times that they opted for narrating exposition instead of including it in dialogue just blew my mind because Mm -hmm. whenever we did have actual character dialogue oftentimes it was waste 
Like that one time in the beginning when Katara's voice is like, this happened and then this happened and here's where we are in the world. And then the next thing they actually physically say verbally was Soka talking about tracking and is like, I did all these things that dad taught me to. I did this and then I did that and then I did this and I still can't track it. Yeah. It's like, why Why are you telling us that? Yeah, we we don't, don't really care about that. You don't need to know this. Another part, which I thought was a missed opportunity, is at the end of the movie when Soka is talking to Yue and they see the soot start falling from the sky. Mm. He had the perfect opportunity to say, I've seen this before on the day the Fire Nation invaded my tribe. Yep. What does he say instead? Yue, the Fire Nation is here. Yue, they're here. I can't like, smile. I'm contractually obligated to never <laughs> smile in this movie. You know what? That's actually insane. Jasper is incredibly moody. Really? From Twilight. The uh, the other character yeah, yeah. he plays is Jasper from Twilight. And 98% of his character is standing around looking pained and moody. UA, I physically cannot smile. I have been typecasted. <laughs> To do nothing but serious, steely looks <laughs> into your eyes and the camera at all points. I hate him so much. Yep. I hate it. I hate him so much. Angsty Sokka, paper bag Katara. Yeah. Emotionally confusing Aang. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where he's coming from emotionally. He mm-hmm. just seems to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Aang can just pop into the spirit world whenever he wants to. So That's weird, why does yeah. he need a spiritual place to meditate at the end of the movie if he can just go there anytime, anywhere? So another huge thing that I couldn't really stand was how the spirit world looked. It was very lazy. Oh, my gosh. It was very lazy. (laughs) It's like they gave it to an intern who has been using After Effects for like maybe six months. Actually, it's funny you say that. Oh, no. Because that is addressed in the video, the YouTube video I mentioned. Oh, Um, jeez. This film student found out who did yeah, the spirit world. Who, who did that? Yeah, and not the spirit world specifically, but the oh, movie. Okay, it, okay, it was okay. just like you know. Yeah. Again, some green, inexperienced uh, people. Not great. Oh, I forgot to mention. So another casting. We're going to do this true Avatar the podcast uh, fashion, where I'm going to bring up the casting well after the point of anything. And you're like, wait, wait, stop everything! I have to talk about this character from so, five scenes ago. This one character. Really quickly, okay. Um, this the spirit dragon, so Fang, as we affectionately yeah. know him as, which is just the spirit dragon or whatever in in the Last Airbender, is voiced by none other than John Noble of Fringe fame. So Doctor Walter Bishop from Doctor Walter Bishop, uh, he is one of the best characters in Fringe. Oh my oh, goodness, he's so he's so good. He also does a lot of voice acting work. So I I also know him to be the voice of Brainiac in one of the Superman animated movies as well. Oh, wow. But yeah, so like John Noble, another like well-established, really good character actor is just wasted on the like, Aang, you cannot have fun or anything. You have to <laughs> be the avatar. And it's like, oh, terrible. I know. Good timing, actually, because Fang was going to be what I was going to talk okay, about yeah, next, yeah. because another thing I cannot stand is the addition of Fang to the story. Mm-hmm. Why is he there instead of Roku? Why is he talking? Why can he talk? Why can Aang visit him whenever he wanted to? Where is Roku? Where is Roku? <laughs> Just, you know, some more questions for us to ask as we watch this movie. Little things. We never learn Paku's name, yep. who he is, yep. or what he does. Same for Yue. We never learn Momo's name and Momo. Oh, do they never they say never Momo's name? They never mention Momo's name. Why would they? His, his name was very, in the series, was very well thought out and had a reasoning behind it. 
So M. Night probably yeah. couldn't figure out how to fit in the whole peach thing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so he just never oh named it. I will say this, though. D. Bradley Baker does do the voice of both Appa and Momo in The Last Airbender. And he also, everyone knows, did the voice of them in Avatar, The Last Airbender. Okay. In the series. At least. At least. It's just it's just unfortunate that Appa is nightmare fuel, like absolutely terrifying in this I movie. I didn't think Appa was that bad. I thought his limbs were a little too dangly for my tastes, but I didn't think they're he was They're dangly too... and they're like they're like chicken feet. And he looks mean. <laughs> he looks scary. Yeah, but I also think that like I think it's the lighting. Whenever we see Appa, it's never in proper daylight. It's always like some weird like shadow going on with him. Now, whether that's because they couldn't animate him properly or not. I can't say, but I did. I thought like this basic design was fine. That didn't bother me too much in terms of like the grand scope of the last airbender. Appa's design is the least of my criticisms. I agree. Well, it's also because we don't see him very much. Exactly. But it's like in the movie, he kind of seems like he kind of looks like he has grapes stuffed in his upper lip. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe he does or melons of some kind. <laughs> Giant, Giant melons. melons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I think he just he was all right to be honest like they, i feel like they just kind of like gave it to someone who's like this is the this is the cartoon make it more lifelike and that's what they did yeah the number of times people are standing around talking or awkwardly bending i hate it yeah. there's no body language everyone's so stiff yeah. and flat there's no movement they just stand around and talk at each other mm-hmm. and when they're not talking they're awkwardly bending yeah it's so ugh. zuko Asking Katara who she is in the Spirit Oasis is absolutely laughable. I don't remember that. Why don't I remember that? He shows up and says, who are you? Oh, yeah. yeah. And she's like, I'm Katara of the Southern. <laughs> the last waterbender of water my tribe. Bender. Oh, my God. Why are we introducing ourselves at the end of the movie? So cringe. Paku howls for no reason before the attack. This unidentified, white, bearded water tribe man mm-hmm. who just seems to be hanging around Yue constantly mm-hmm. stands on the wall and howls for reasons. Because their power comes from the moon and werewolves' power also come from the oh moon. Oh my God, I would actually believe that. <laughs> Maybe. I would take that explanation. <laughs> just give me a reason. Yeah. I don't care what reason. Just back it up. And then also, as the avatar, you are not meant to hurt others. How does this make sense? Why is this his objective? Not become the bridge between the spirit world and the physical world or create balance in the world. It's just, no, as the avatar, you may not hurt anyone. Because, again, it's a misinterpretation of the character from the original series. It seems like he kind of like took Superman's ideals of like no killing and or even Batman's as well and just gave it to Aang or Ong. Yeah. Or like the pacifist thing. He just yeah. like dialed it up to 10. Yeah. And like that's not Ong. Like. He never tries to hurt anyone, but like every, everything he does do is in self-defense. Granted, at least that what we've seen that I can think of. Yeah. But like he will still defend himself. He's not just going to always run away. Right. Exactly. Being a pacifist, not hurting someone is implied in his character. You don't have to outright say it right. as his objective. Yeah. Yeah. So that is my list of things I cannot stand. Okay. Going on from there, there are a couple other comparisons I want to discuss because the movie really does present a different interpretation of the world Mm -hmm. with the lore, the reasons behind things. I mean, we just discussed the whole avatars shouldn't harm anyone thing like that's their objectives. That's very different from the show. Um, There's a couple other things, too, one of which being the tattoos. Yeah. In the movie, an airbender earns their tattoos when they can meditate for a certain amount of time. 
which I don't really understand the basis for that because in the show, an airbender earns their tattoos when they become a master airbender. When they've achieved all of the teachings and all of the techniques, they are able to gain the tattoos Mm -hmm. and enter the master, I guess, the society of their culture as master airbenders. And so I just didn't understand that. It's again, I'm good. This is just going to be my explanation for all of this. It's a lack of understanding of the source material. It's looking at everything from a very high level and going, oh, yeah, sure. Because he reached a state of nirvana. The nirvana is only meditating. And and that's that's what happened. So now he gets fancy tattoos. That's that that's the reasoning, I think. Yeah, I I almost wonder if Shyamalan went back and like studied the origin, the Hindu origin of the avatar and like fashion together some other explanation for it versus understanding like really what happened in the show. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Another movie comparison that we have to discuss yes. because I think it's one of the biggest ones that okay. people have an issue with. And that is how the heck are you going to hold earthbenders in an earthen camp and expect them to not escape <laughs> or extinguish your fire that's just on the ground over there? So like I can headcanon that out that I can I can totally it's not great headcanon, but I can get it. <laughs> It's to the point, in my opinion, that they are so defeated that even though that they're like mentally, that yeah. even though they're surrounded by their element, they still believe that they cannot win. That was my, is it great headcanon? No. Does it make sense? No, because literally any five-year-old earthbender can defeat a Fire Nation soldier. Or a Fire Nation soldier's fire sconce. Yeah, in, in this, right? So th- this is also... A huge victim of watering down the story to make it work for a movie because yeah, or fast track it. fast tracking yes because they it, they have the blue spirit and imprisoned happening in the same spot the same place which is not at all yeah they used imprisoned as inspiration for the movie to create a jumping off point for the main characters to like go and start a revolution which they also didn't do in the show. Right. But they they also could have done that in the Warrior of Kyoshi, the Warriors of Kyoshi episode. Exactly. And that would have been yeah. more because uh, that's, the, that's the third thing they put in that episode. The Warriors of Kyoshi, Imprisoned, and Blue Spirit all happen in the same village. Right. Yep. Just like they also combined the Southern Air Temple Sanctum. Yes. It, with its avatar statues, yep. the Pohuai Stronghold, mm-hmm. and the Northern Air Temple. Mm-hmm. Those all became one one scene too which was like ridiculous because we've already been to the northern air temple why not let us be there for five more minutes or the southern air temple i'm sorry like we've already been to the southern air temple why don't just give us five more minutes in the southern air temple and show us the avatar statues statues chamber there to maybe establish the story a little bit more yeah and then when we're back in the northern air temple we can have the mechanist betray ong now, granted, that would is not 100% in the mechanist's personality, but it's not too far off. Yeah, the mechanist wasn't even there either. Yeah. It was just like some random monk, which I actually enjoyed that interaction. Like, finally, we get halfway through the movie, Aang appears before someone. The person, like, squints yeah. and goes, are you the Avatar? And Ong's like, yes, my name is Ong. And it was, like, acceptable. It was what I was waiting for the whole show because... Yeah. Otherwise, the characters like dance around common knowledge, yeah. which I thought was so confusing. Yeah. Like, do the people know about the Avatar or not? Do the people know about the Avatar cycle of elements or not? No. Do it's... the people know the Avatar is supposed to be an airbender or not? 
I didn't yeah. have an answer for any of that. And so I'm like, who knows what? And what am I supposed to like expect from each scene? You're not giving me any foundation to stand on. Yeah, that scene did feel very grounded in reality. And I, I like yeah. that it was a random Earth Kingdom villager that just is like yeah i liked that too I feel like he just lives there and just like took on kind of the robes and stuff that was really cool and i liked his motivation like i like that he betrayed ong because a i don't really like ong all that much but b like it felt like something to be like you left us my life is ruined because you went away for a hundred years for whatever reason so i'm gonna get mine as best as i can but he did feel bad about it yeah i would like that motivation if he had phrased it better because the way he phrased it, that was the implication, the implied yeah. reason that he betrayed him. What he actually said was, I have lived in poverty in your absence. So it's not about my life has been terrible because you left us because you're the avatar and you're supposed to create balance and protect us in the world. It's I was poor because you were gone. <laughs> you're gone. I, I don't have money, so I need money because you left. So I'm going to get money. Jerk. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not good motivation. No, it's not. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like, again, I think you can really just boil everything down to a lack of understanding of the original content and just trying to make a summer blockbuster out of it. Yeah, there's another thing that I read, and that's M. Night tries to edit his movies down to 90 minutes long. That's like kind of his style. Okay. And so he talked about this in an interview or some sort of like article where that's what he tried to do for Avatar as well. The Last Airbender. And so I think that did not help the pacing because I don't know if this is like completely accurate or not, but it sounds like he prioritized his style over the source material and what it took to properly tell it. And, and in his style does not properly represent the world of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Yeah, like we already established. We've already established that. So like, why would you try to do that? So yeah, he tries to get it down to these like an hour and a half. He gets usually less than two hours is right around. Like he's not doing a Peter Jackson three-hour movie, for sure. Right, which I would have taken, but, yeah. you know. You can't fit all that content. You can't fit eight hours of content in an hour and a half and make it, like, good, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Yeah. My next one mm -hmm. is Zhao, in the movie, mm -hmm. monologues to a crowd about how Zuko was banished. His father doesn't love him. Mm -hmm. And Zuko needs to find the Avatar in order to become a worthy heir to the throne. Mm -hmm. And in that scene, Zuko's sitting down the table and he's like clenching his fists in anger. Yep. In the show, Iroh uses the story of Zuko's banishment to endear his crew to the young prince. Because yes. they were like, we hate that guy's guts. And then Iroh tells them of Zuko being punished for having a good heart and wanting to do well. And his own father branded him with a scar and then banished him with the impossible task of finding the avatar to restore his honor. Like that's our reasoning in the show. And then you're just going to water it down to like, yeah, Zuko was banished and his dad doesn't love him and everyone laugh at dinner time. Yeah. Yeah. Zhao's monologuing is within character. The topic in which he's being monologued was not great. Not a great choice, whether he would do that or not. And also, like, yeah, I agree. It's such a pivotal moment in the series where we learn Zuko's motivation and we see it in its entirety. Yes, we see it in action. Right. Not telling us. Yeah. Like in the second episode of the whole show, when Zuko captures Aang 
and he does not give up. He chases him across the ship. He leaps off of the deck. Mm -hmm. He does everything he possibly can to to capture the Avatar. And in the movie, it's like, we're on a warship. Don't think about trying to escape. Yeah. And then Ong escapes. Zuko stands on the deck and is like, for a moment, I had my honor. (sighs) And it was like the first mention of his honor. It's like, who are yeah. these people? Yeah. And the other thing is, too, they repeat Zuko's burn story again. Like a little kid, like he he's at, a, I don't know, I'm going to call it a bar, but it's not a bar, but I'm going to call it a bar with his uncle he's at a restaurant with his uncle. And he's just like, little boy, come here. And I'm just like, what do you want with the little kid? This is getting really weird. And he's like, tell me the story of Zuko. And he's like hiding his scar, which, by the way, his <laughs> scar is barely noticeable. It's barely noticeable. It's not great. But then the, we, we get Zuko's banishment story twice in a movie that they can't waste time on. They're wasting time again. Yes. Oh, perfect example of another time they waste time. I rewound back to verify this. Oh, bless you for doing that. I'm never going to rewind anything in this movie. <laughs> Try to get through it as fast as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two scenes in particular between Zhao and Ozai. Mm hmm. One of those scenes happens at 34 minutes into the movie. Okay. There's another scene at 57 minutes into the movie, not long after, and they're basically the same scene. I couldn't believe my eyes. Why? The first scene, Zhao is like, I went to a secret library and I found some information about the the spirits of the ocean and the moon in physical forms. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. And then yeah. scene two and is, then, is Ozai. The yeah. scene, too, is them looking through a window in the same palace. Yeah. I don't know how they're getting around so fast. I don't know. I'm almost wondering if it's the same conversation. They just split it into two scenes or something. Probably. Because Ozai's like, tell me about the progress of finding the physical forms of the ocean and, and moon spirit. Have you been able to identify it in your research? Yeah. And Zhao's like, yes, or something. And Ozai's like, we must kill them. And it was like, like you said, in a short movie, if it's 90 minutes, and if Shyamalan is used to making 90 minute movies, and that's where his like instinct is, is to edit down to 90 minutes, you got to make every second count. And there's so much wasted dialogue and so many wasted scenes in this movie. Yep. He could have done it. I actually think that 90 minutes is enough to structure a coherent story if you use every second and make it count. Yeah. And that's the other another little difference with Zhao is he in the show, he comes up with the idea to kill the moon spirit. And in yes. the movie, it's Ozai's idea. It's Ozai. Yeah. And Zhao's like, hmm, yes, sir. That sounds like a good idea, sir. I will find yeah, a way, sir. Oh, it just, there's, a, there's a spot on your butt I didn't kiss yet. Let me just get that real quick. <laughs> and he never, he never becomes an admiral. No, he doesn't. He, he gets no promotion. Promotion. Oh, my gosh. Another comparison I didn't quite understand about the movie is yes. Ong becomes the avatar when he bows to a crowd. There's so much emphasis placed on you must bow in front of witnesses and then you become the avatar. It's so weird. Because in the show, you're identified as the next avatar in the avatar cycle by the monks or the sages of your nation. Yeah. And that's who you are. You're born into it. I think him bowing to people is a ceremony in which he accepts the title. He has the title no matter what, but it's a matter of him being able to accept it. And I think they literally Uh put in that stupid bow scene just so they could be like, character growth. (laughs) There it is. Artificial. There you go. You guys like character growth in Avatar, right? Yep, yep, there it is. See, (laughs) see? I think you're absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. And I hated how he did it too because he was bowing in this super stupid, elaborate way. He's looking terrified. Yeah. He looked so worried and... 
that doesn't say character growth to me. That just says the same scared little boy we meet in the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie is the scared little boy who's now bowing to a crowd. There's, yeah. there's no difference. Yeah. The relationships never develop between Sokka Katara, Soka Katara, oh. and Ang either. Ong. 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 Now, you know what's going to happen now when we start recording book two? I'm going to start saying Ong and Soka, and I'm going to have to correct myself. No, it's okay. We're going to wash our brains out with soap after this episode. Don't worry. Yeah. So that relationship never develops. And that always, that was weird to me that Soka and Katara were bowing to Ong. I was like, that's, they're friends. I don't like that. They're supposed to be friends. They're not, yep. They would be standing next to him. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I went into this recording like with every intention of being like calm, collected, constructive. Not going to happen. And, it's really tough. We, I'm struggling over here. We guys. actually had a structure to this episode. It's just, just. It's kind of devolving. Gone with the wind. It has. Yes, it was fine. Another thing I want to talk about, and by talk I mean rant about, is yeah. Eero. Because Eero in this movie, half the time he's talking in incoherent fortunes. Mm-hmm. The other portion of the time, he's advising Zuko to like go find a lady Mm-hmm. And by the way, you were gone. Some Fire Nation soldiers were looking for you. But don't worry. I told them you were on vacation with a girl. They were treating Zuko as if he was Bruce Wayne. And the Blue Spirit is Batman. Yes. Actually, yes. Was my take from that. Yeah. Yeah. And Eero would be Alfred in that scenario. That is exactly the dynamic. And it's so frustrating because Eero is serving Zuko in the movie versus guiding and advising him. Right. Yeah. And so he's just like, Master Bruce, you really shouldn't work so hard. Go enjoy yourself. Go yeah. on a date. And the other thing is in that second scene when he's telling Zuko, he told, don't worry, you're on vacation with a girl. He's getting his feet rubbed by some random Earth Nation woman. And I know you said that that was funny earlier. I thought it was kind of goofy. Yeah, I liked it. It was goofy and dumb, but that's everything Iroh is not. And so I was so offended. But he he's not, but he plays that. He plays that part. That's why I can defend that. He plays that part. So he needs to like, because they're surrounded by Fire Nation troops at that point. And he doesn't uh-huh. know when they're looking and when they're not. So he has to keep up this facade. Again, this is headcanon. Is a great so He's headcanon. pretending to be an Earth Kingdom person? No, he's just pretending to be like a lazy idiot who can't rub his own feet. Okay. That was my take on it. I can understand the other side of that coin, which is your take. Yeah. Yeah. But because it's not great. It's like he, he wouldn't do that in the series. Like we've. We haven't seen like him really take interest in any woman except for June, who, by the way, is notably absent in the movie, which I can I can understand that June. Yeah, I can that's see not more being of like a this. filler yeah. type storyline. It's not the core storyline. Right. Yeah. Right. But um, I don't know. I'm going to sidetrack. Yeah. So you better just start talking because I'm going to talk about booing in a minute <laughs> and I'm going to explode. OK. Yes. He has an air of indulgence yeah. to him versus wisdom. And that yeah. makes me angry. Yes. Yes. Anyway, Boomy. You mentioned Boomy. Yeah. Uh, Boomy wasn't in this movie, right? Did I miss it? Boomy is not in this movie. That okay, is the largest oversight, in my opinion, of like the movie. Well, not the largest. I'm sorry. There's many, many large, larger ones. But when we did our recap episode, I had said something along, along the lines of, Boomy's lesson is the moral of the entire season and is yeah. this thread that just kind of like connects or not thread. It's, he has this wisdom that allows the team to conquer the hurdles using this idea of not taking things at face value, creative problem solving, all of that. Mm-hmm. 
They never learn this lesson. No. They're never taught this lesson and they never learn it. And that's just, I, I can't even verbalize how angry that makes me because it's not just ignoring aspects of the show. It's just writing it out. This character is not important to the story in removing them. Someone like June, I understand. Obviously, The yep. Great Divide, totally get it. Even characters like the the fisherman and his wife and all of like the whole episode of the storm yep, from bes- the storm. Besides the reveals of the backstories, the whole episode of the storm is fairly forgettable. Um, even as much as it pains me to say it, Miyuki and the herbalist from the Earth King, mm-hmm. like that's fine. But Boomy was Aang's friend one hundred years ago. He is one of the last. I'm just going to say it. I think the last living. Uh, connections that Aang has to his former life. And they just yep. decided not to use this character? Yeah. What? Didn't decide to use the character. Didn't present the lessons that he taught Aang, which, like you said, become part of the backbone of the moral story. And, you know, when Michael and Brian talk about the spirit of Avatar and how the showrunners of the Netflix reboot series did not have or did not meet their expectations in delivering something with the spirit of Avatar. This is what I think of. Mm-hmm. When you take out Boomy's lesson, when you take out the ethnic and cultural diversity of the show, you are erasing the spirit of Avatar. Yep. Yeah. I am right there with you, mm-hmm. Greg. I'm I guess so uh, angry. I just I went into it. I was like, I I was like, I wonder who they casted as Boomy. Like I was oh, genuinely yeah. curious and they just didn't. Which I guess is fine. I mean, ultimately, the character is intact. So, like, M. Night couldn't put his grubby hands on. That's on true. He was saved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got so angry. Where I was like, where's Boomy? Where's the kingdom of Omashu? Nowhere. It doesn't exist, apparently. Off screen, where Off-screen. everything else is happening. They flew by over the way. it. <laughs> yeah. Everything worth seeing or experiencing happened off screen. And then they told us about it with narration. Yep. Or random references, yes. which also made my blood boil. Yes. Um, I felt cheated. That's yeah. all I could. That's the best I could say. I felt cheated because everything interesting happened off screen. And then I was told about it like an afterthought. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, I am now convinced more than ever of my conviction of the Suki and Sokka shipping because yeah. so everything that is bad about Avatar is in this movie, essentially. Or if it wasn't bad, they made it bad. They shipped UA and Sokka in this movie. So therefore... Yeah, because Suki didn't even exist. Because Suki didn't even exist, right? So therefore, if M. Night Shyamalan liked it, and we know that he doesn't understand... I'm going to piss off so many people that said <laughs> that ship <laughs> UA and Sokka. If, if M. Night misses the point of Avatar The Last Airbender, and M. Night himself in his own creation ships UA and Sokka, therefore he misses the point of everything. So Sokka and Suki must be the correct answer. <laughs> okay so you're saying if the flawed movie is every example of what's wrong yes and incorrect about avatar yes. then Sokka and ua being shipped must also be wrong about avatar yes i see what you're saying yeah yeah i try to make it like it, a mathematical equation in my mind yep i'm following or programming if, if this, this then, then that, that. Yes. yes i'm yeah. following you okay with that being said we love all of you out there who yeah. ship ua and Sokka. Yeah. you are valid yes you're your passion for that ship is valid. It's, it's fine. It's I'm, just, you know, not what we ship. No. And that's fine. And I'm I'm just also being me. So take take and that Greg last Greg is statement. just being Greg. Just ignore him. Just take it with a grain of salt, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Oh, gosh. Okay, we should wrap it up because we've been yeah, ranting for a long time. For a very long time. There's a couple final things. There is obviously so much more to be said about this movie. We could we could talk scene by scene, line by line about this movie. And I have notes that we didn't even touch on, but that's okay because I feel like we've said the majority of, of what we needed to say. Yeah. What I will say is kind of like closing notes and wrap up is... As an audience member, you don't really relate to any of the decisions or motivations of anyone Mm -hmm. in this movie. Mm -hmm. In the show, you understand why. I mean, we talk at length about every episode because we're breaking down the characterization, the motivations, the references, and just everything that drives the story forward. In this movie, you don't really get that. And I can kind of see if Shyamalan was watering this down to make it more appealing to younger audiences. Like you take out the goofy, the slapstick, Mm -hmm. but then you break it down so it's understandable for young audiences. If that was the intention, I don't understand it because the show was already made for a young audience. You don't have to water it down or, or dumb it down anymore. Yeah, I agree. There's a couple things I want to link. I found a very long time ago, I found some great cartoons and breakdowns from Rough Tune, who is the comic artist I mentioned in a previous episode who did Water Tribe, which mm-hmm. is the Zhao comic. Mm-hmm. I'll have a couple links to that in the show notes if you want practical, applicable examples of the difference between the movie and the show, including the way that it's shot, the camera angles, the way they break down a scene. Super fascinating. Really, really cool. I recommend checking that out. There's going to be a couple funnies in there too They're like so sunday morning cartoon strips about the, the movie which are hilarious mm-hmm. i'm gonna include that i'm also going to include a link to a youtube video which is the one i mentioned before about the film student who breaks down avatar and touches on a lot of the things that we talk about here but also again has great applicable examples for you to check out so the youtube video is called the last airbender mm-hmm. film how it disrespected a great series Are we going to talk about our Mm -hmm. moral of the episode or movie in this case and our MVP of the movie? I think we should. I feel like people have just been ranting and raving for so long. We got to have some consistency (laughs) in there. Yeah. So my MVP of the movie, it's so hard. There's actually, you know what? I think I am going to say Zuko is my MVP. He was relatively unchanged with the exception of a couple outbursts that he had that I thought would have been more quieted anger in the in the series. But ultimately, he was very good. I thought Dev did a great job. I thought the character was well represented. And in terms of... It's, it's like when you think about like an MVP, if I'm trying to think about the, the, the character that pissed me off the least or that angered yes. me the least. Yep. And that would be Zuko because like he was still there. Like Dev did still do a great job with the character with what he had. Yes. So that's my... I 100% agree with you. He is my MVP too because I can only imagine he has a script and he has director's directions Mm -hmm. for how to set up a scene. And if all he was given was for a moment, I had my honor back. Yeah. And direction to stand and stare at the sky and deliver that that line. He did great. Yep. He did a great job. Yep. (laughs) That's all he could do. <laughs> That's all he could do. I also feel terribly bad for Dev because he's this is his like second movie. I, I mean, talk about the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I know, I he know. went from Slumdog Millionaire success to The Last Airbender. Yeah. 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 
So Zuko is my my MVP as well. Cool. Okay. Moral of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mine is very easy. If you if your intent as a filmmaker is to make the next blockbuster series, don't. Just <laughs> don't. Okay. Find something that you like and create that, that you understand, that is in your wheelhouse, that is something that you can accomplish with a level of quality that doesn't degrade your previous works or your future works. Please just don't. If you want to stretch your creative muscles, do so. Make up something new. Don't take an existing IP that has a fandom that you only want because it has an existing fandom. Yep. Just don't. It's easy. It's very or easy. If you want to do that, be a fan yourself. Yeah. And involve the creators. Yeah. For Pete's sake. Or 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 better yet, look at the material. Research the material. Make sure it fits your style. John Favreau, fantastic job with Iron Man one. He set yes. up the whole MCU for success. And he continues to set up other uh, Disney properties for even greater success and taking what you've learned from your previous movies and being able to incorporate it in your current work. M. Night Shyamalan did none of that in this movie. Absolutely none of it. He didn't respect the source material. He didn't respect the fans and he didn't respect himself. Ultimately, it seemed like. Yeah. So my moral of the movie is remember your writing 101 show. Don't tell. Yes. Every scene i was being told about what happened is happening or will happen all the interesting stuff like i've said before happened off screen and that creates a very boring story oh yeah yeah it was numerous times while i was watching this i i paused it to check the timestamp. i was like <laughs> i have to be close to how done. far are we? are we are we almost done it was almost every yeah. 15 to 20 minutes i was checking oh, it. No. <laughs> if you're consciously thinking are we done yet? Yeah, it's not good. That's not a, an interesting story. No, no. And also, if you have to ask why once or more every scene. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, on that positive note, <laughs> <laughs> that is the end of our episode. If you've yeah. made it this far, thank you so much for putting up thank with you. this topic with us <laughs> and joining us on this journey through The Last Airbender. Yeah. And, and if you didn't, no worries. We understand. You're not hearing this message, but it's it's fine. We it's understand. Fine. We get it. This this is essentially the great divide of our podcast. I, I would say that's being very generous. <laughs> <laughs> if you tuned in, we appreciate you. If yeah. you didn't and said, mm, I'm going to skip that, we don't blame you. It's great. It's fine. Yeah. No worries. As a friendly reminder, we are going to be taking a small hiatus while we record new episodes for book two, and we're going to work on getting caught up with some of the uh, behind the scene things. Yeah. So we're still keeping our posting schedule, however. So every Friday, we're going to have a new episode for you to listen to. For the most part, those are going to be Ang Mail videos where we cover the different emails and tweets and messages that have been sent to us. A lot of them will include some great discussion about the show. So tune in if you want to hear us talk about Avatar even more. We're going to have a lot of great content to explore with you there. We are going to be posting them on YouTube as well. So be sure to head on over to our YouTube channel, Avatar the Podcast, and subscribe to us there. But if you prefer listening to podcasts, the audio portion will be uploaded here. So Mm -hmm. up to you how you want to engage with that content. Yeah. We'd also like to thank 
everyone who's gone on this journey with us. We absolutely did not expect the no. reaction that we've gotten. And it this podcast would not be the same without you. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Remember, the best way to support us is to tell your friends about the podcast, especially now. Now that we're ramping up into book two, yeah. give them a chance to catch up. I know a couple of you are currently listening to this podcast, trying to catch up before uh, book two. We mm-hmm. hope you have enjoyed the content so far. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, along with a written review if you want to tell us what you think of the show and also other people who might be considering it for the first time. Yeah. Any five-star written review, we will read on the show. And the same goes for anyone who tweets at us at Podcast Avatar. Mm-hmm. Or writes into us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Yeah. And remember, if you are caught up on all of the content and you want to uh, hang out or talk avatar or whatever with myself, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg every Monday and Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless we're doing a indie showcase. Indie showcase. In which case we'll be over there. Uh, that's usually, I feel like our time is usually like 7 p.m. I feel like that's yeah, our- Yeah, about 7 EST. Yeah, Eastern Standard Time. I also do indie showcases and just did one that was a really fun game called As Far As The Eye. It was a good time. That looked like fun. It was difficult, but fun. Yeah. So if you're interested in catching us for one of those, um, I definitely recommend you follow The Geek Generation on Twitch. Mm -hmm. And also follow us on Twitter because that is definitely where we tweet out when we're going to be going live with an indie showcase. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you can find me on Twitter at Acorn Bandit and online at joysons.com where I create enamel pins, including our good friend Appa. Yep, yep. You can check out there. But that is all the time we have for yeah. this episode. So see you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar the Podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.